that like is real in life, not everything is perfect. So on our trip, we had this experience. And uh, so we are, we got our people, there's seven of us, we're all excited. Um, some are nervous, I won't say who. Some are nervous, some are excited, some don't really know what's about to happen. And so we're getting ready to head, we go to the airport, we get to the airport and we look up on the screen and what does it say? Our flight is two hours delayed. Now that's no big deal, right? Flight delay, no problem. Unless you have a connecting flight from Panama City to Bogota, then you have a problem. So already we knew, okay, this isn't gonna work. So I, being the incredibly thoughtful leader that I am, went to the information booth at the airport and said, hey, we got a problem. We're going to be two hours late, which means we're definitely going to miss our flight. So can you help us go ahead and just grab the next flight, get us tickets, get us seats. Let's get this thing squared away so we're good to go. So the lady does her little do-do-do-do, and she says, all right, we'll get you on the next flight, but that next flight's going to be at 9, 10 p.m. Well, we were supposed to leave at like 2.38 p.m. So we're going, okay, you know what? Not great, but that's okay. You know, stuff happens, no big deal. A few hours together, bonding, that'll be great. So we hop on the plane. We get to Panama. We're excited. We're in a foreign country. We get off the plane. Now we're getting tired. It's been a long day. And we go set up post for our little four or five hour wait. Nine comes around. Nine, ten. We get to our gate. We've got our tickets. We've got our seat numbers. We know exactly where I'm going to be. 2F. All right. I was ready. And I go to the gate and the lady takes your ticket. If you've never been on an airplane, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But she took your ticket and she scans in and everyone else in front of me was green. And then she scanned mine and it was red. It also made this sound. Beep, not getting on the plane. I added the last part, but that's what it felt like. And so she said, I'm sorry, but this ticket doesn't seem to be working. And I thought, well, I've done, in my mind, I'm going, I did everything I was supposed to do, so that ticket should be working. So let's figure this out. And uh, so then the next six went behind me, and everyone had the same problem. All of us were red. Okay, so they pull us aside, because now we look like people causing problems. So they pull us aside. And they do their little da-da-da. I really, I tried to watch. I don't think she did anything. I think she was just killing time, but that's okay. Um, so she went on the screen. She did her little thing. And long story short, she said, I'm sorry, but you are not going to be able to get on this plane. Well, one of our guys that jumped ahead out of the system, he had already actually gotten on the plane because when he got there, we departed because he went to the restroom. Sorry, he went to the restroom. We went that way. So he went and got his ticket all fixed out, but we did not. So he was on the plane. So then we shot him a little text via Wi-Fi because you don't have signal out there. We sent him a message. We said, hey, they're not letting us on the plane. He goes, well, why not? I'm looking at all of your seats. They're all open. And so I went back to the counter and I said, ma'am, you know, we are Christians. I didn't say that, but I'm going to represent Jesus. And I just want to let you know we have a problem because those seats are open, but you're not letting us on the plane. So you got to let us on the plane because we got to get there because we're not sleeping here. And I don't know what to do if this happens. So you got to get us on the plane. She just looked and said, no, I'm sorry, not going to get on this plane. So we watched the plane take off. So we get to the desk and they give us a hotel overnight. Already off to a great start. We get to the hotel, it was actually really nice. It was probably a five-star hotel, so I wasn't complaining. We got a nice little Caesar salad, and then we took the first 7 a.m. flight and flew first class, because that's what happened. The last finish first, not really on earth, but in heaven. But the reality is they took care of us. Now, what's the point? Well, one, it helps you get a perspective that immediately our trip took a turn that we didn't see coming. And that's how life is. 
Man, life is like this. You get pumped, you're ready, the Lord's giving you something new, you're excited, it's a new job, it's a new school, it's a new opportunity to serve, whatever it is, and you're ready to go, and so you start moving, and then boom, you hit this wall, and you go, Lord, I thought you, I thought you were working all things together for good. What happened? The same thing can happen when we're reading our Bible. If you're diligent enough, and you're studying, you're going to come across some things, and you're going to go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I didn't see that coming. Maybe it's happened to you before. Here's a secret. I think it's awesome because it forces you to dig deeper into the word of God. It's a blessing, but it shakes us. There's a big debate that happens. Some of you may be seasoned. You may have worked through this yourself. Some of you, this may be the first time you've heard this, but a debate comes up when we study our scriptures and one is that we hear the phrase, we're saved by faith and faith alone. And then we come across another passage that says we're saved by faith. And it appears to say, and works as well. And we get confused and we're not sure what to do. And so some people use that as the out to not follow Christianity because the Bible is flawed. If there's a contradiction, and to this point they are true. If there is a contradiction in the Bible that we cannot rectify, if there is a moment where the scriptures no longer seem to be true, then the entire faith of Christianity falls apart. And so what I want to do tonight is cover another one of these topics, and it's the one I just addressed with you, and help us to grab some understanding, because I don't want this to be confusing. In fact, it's actually really easy to explain, but I want to be sure to show you how I landed here so that you can understand it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open. We are going to bounce all around, but if you want to just maybe put your finger in James chapter 2, verse 24, that's where we'll spend most of the time tonight. But to set this up, I want to make sure that you can kind of see how this happens and how it takes place place. Let me read to you some verses. Some are going to come from Paul. One's going to come from James. This is going to help to open the door to the big question. By the way, before we go any further, let me say this. There are some things in the Bible that are hard to wrap our mind around. They're hard to kind of figure out. We need the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and some of us are still trying to figure it out. Here's what I have good news to tell you tonight. This is not one of those. When you leave here tonight, you are going to confidently, I hope, have an answer to this question and maybe even have someone in your mind that you need to go back and visit with because you're going to be able to explain this. It's actually really exciting when this happens. So let me read to you some verses. First, Romans 3, 28 says this, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Seeing a theme, right? This sounds good. This makes sense. Looking good. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Pretty clear, right? Faith saves. This is exciting. And then James says this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
That's it, folks. We have a contradiction. We cannot, we can't go forward. So here's the deal. Take your Bible, head on home. You're released early tonight. The entire Christian faith has fallen apart in front of our eyes. This Bible is no longer valid because the Bible is no longer true. If you can't answer or rectify this, you have major problems and all of your friends that want to talk to you about the Bible, maybe some of your atheist friends, they love to point this out to you because you do what some of you are doing right now. You put that deer and the headlights look on and you go, I don't know. I just trust Jesus. He'll make it work. And, and, and there's some truth to that statement, but it's not enough. And I hope it's not enough for you. I hope you don't go, I can't answer it, but, you know, I'm just, I'm going to believe anyway. No. We want to train our minds, our hearts, and our passions to want to dig in to the Word of God and to want to understand. So again, let me say, for those of you that may have never seen these things side by side and you're going, well, he's hyping this up. I sure hope he can explain it because I'm not sure what to do with this because this sounds like a problem. And indeed it is when we don't understand. Let's talk about a few things first. First thing is this. And I want to say this to us so it's really clear. We read in the Bible that it says to not judge. And I want to point this out to you. It's very important. We are not in a place where we can judge other people's salvation. It is not your place or mine to determine if you, Stocky, I know him so I'm pointing out. Don't freak out. You're not coming next. You are not going to heaven because I just can tell by you, you're not going, okay, I'm sorry. You're on the front row, you thought it was gonna help, it's not. You're wearing a bacon shirt, you thought it was gonna help, it's not, okay? You aren't going, and I, and, and I can't, I just can tell you it's not gonna happen, okay? Are you good with that, are you cool, you okay? Great, good talk. That's not our place. Because what happens in faith and salvation is something that takes place on the inside. This is, by the way, why we do baptism. Baptism is the public display of what happened internally between you and God. Your faith, salvation, though it can be spoken about and can be lived out, which we'll get to in a minute, it is an internal decision between you and God. So for all of you and for me and for all those that lead or are pastors or leaders or whatever, be careful that we don't get caught judging people's salvation because that's something between them and God. But there are some indicators that can be helpful for us to help to guide people in the right direction. We'll come back to that in a minute. The second thing I want to point out, these people that are being written to and these two passages we're going to use tonight are two completely different audiences. Let's say you go to the doctor. Have you been to the doctor lately? You should. It'll help you not get sick, okay? You go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, you should not run anymore. And then you go back to the doctor maybe a year later and the doctor says, you should run. Now, if you were to go at the same time, what you would have there would be a contradictory statement. If you were to pull it out of any kind of time frame context and just say, once I went to the doctor and he said I need to run, once I went to the doctor and he said I don't need to run, I'm really confused, what do I do? When we understand the audiences, it helps us get perspective. So let's say that Stocky, he's in the front row, don't ever sit in the front row because you never know what's going to happen. Let's say Stocky and I went to the doctor together and the doctor said, Stocky, you don't need to run anymore. 
But you, Chad, need to start running, and preferably today. When we understand the audiences, we can understand that these aren't contradictory messages, but to the particular audience, they're very important. See, Stocky has broken his leg. He didn't, don't freak out. He has broken his leg, and so the doctor is saying, listen, no physical activity, including not to run. But for me, I have not taken care of myself. I've not done a good job, and the doctor's saying, for your health, you need to start running. We can have a message from a doctor that may seem contradictory, but we understand the audiences to which the message is given, it begins to make sense. This is what's happening between Paul and James, the writers of these texts. James is writing to a group of religious people that if we could be honest, probably just sit around discussing religious theological terms, and in their mindset, they have taken what Paul has said and used it to say, hey, we have faith, that's all we need. We don't need to do anything else. We can just sit here and enjoy. Paul is writing to an audience of Gentiles or people that are not Jews or easier understood, those that are either new to the faith or haven't come to faith yet. And so he's writing to a completely different audience. He wants them to understand the ABCs or the one, two, threes of the faith. And so immediately the two different audiences open our mind to see, let's make sure we understand what they're saying, how they're saying, and important who they are saying it to. The other thing is we have words that have two different meanings. We have those words here. For instance, when we were in Colombia, we said soccer, and then we said football then we realize there's a huge difference. Because when we said football to them, they think of soccer, right? I know it's confusing, they're a little confused, it's okay, we love them, right? No, I'm kidding. To them, football is soccer. To us, football is what to them is American football. We're talking about two very different sports, right? Two very different styles, very different things, yet they have a similar name, depending where you're at. They're spelled differently, but you get the point. We have the same picture with rock. You could be referring to a stone. You could be referring to a style of music. You could be referring to something you do in your chair, right? So we have words that mean multiple things, and so we have to be careful to look and see, is that happening here as well? And finally, let me point out this. Both men seem to agree, both verses seem to agree that faith is a key element. James just gets us to think about something else, which is works. Now, let's look at, if you will, the showdown for those of you that want to make it fun. All right, let's get some understanding here. First, let me read to you some context. Let's back up in James's words and let's read verse 18. It says this, still chapter two. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now again, when we read good old James, it sure does sound like he's making a pretty big argument that your faith is not enough. Would you agree? Does that what it sounds like? It sure does. Now let's look at this. First, let's look at this idea of two words meaning the same thing. Let's look at the word justification, all right? Let's just justify justification. 
Let's look at this word. Now, we are going to learn that this word can be used really in two major different ways within biblical context. The first one refers to this definition, to absolve or declare free of blame. You've been justified. You are free from blame. You have been absolved. The second one would be to demonstrate or to prove to be just, right, or valid. Well, let's back up. Let me say this again. The first one is to declare free of blame, justified, or to demonstrate or to prove to be just, right, or valid. Justification. One word, two meanings, two contexts. We have to understand where they come from. Another way to look at this is there's a cause and effect. A cause to be declared righteous, to be declared blame-free. The effect is to demonstrate or to prove to be just, right, or valid. What do we know? Typically, a cause comes before an effect. Something has to begin, and then something will follow. We're seeing something similar play out here. Now, what's the picture? What James is trying to articulate to us is that faith in Jesus Christ leads you and I to live differently. And what James is writing to these theological group of people that think they figured out the easy way to just be a Christian, what he is saying is that if you have a life that does not demonstrate any fruit that would come from following Jesus, I, James, am challenging your faith. Faith without fruit is dead. Faith without works is dead is dead. James is taking an aggressive approach. Why? Because he's dealing with very smart, long-time spiritual people. Here's the truth. When you and I stepped into, for those of you that are believers, when you stepped into your faith, you weren't really argumentative. You weren't really fighting. You didn't know it all. You were just soaking it in. It was a joyous time. You were learning about God. You were learning about the Bible. You were realizing that Jesus died on the cross to save you. It was a marvelous thing. It was exciting. And the longer you become become a Christian, the less exciting it can become if you allow it. Amen? Most people don't say amen to that. But what a struggle. You could be a Christian 10, 15 years and become so comfortable with the idea that maybe you do this in church when they begin to do the invitation. You just go, man, I wish they'd hurry up so I can get out of here. Oh, they're going to do that again. Share the gospel. Now, of course, you wouldn't say that in front of a group of people because that wouldn't look so good. But deep down inside, what happens? We've lost the joy of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Or some of us get so comfortable with our Bible that we become so dogmatic and so legalistic, and sometimes we're wrong. But oh, we love to fight, or we love to lovingly debate. And what we've done is we've gotten caught up in the wrong things. Can I ask you a question? If you're a Christian in this room tonight, are you as passionate now as you were when you first came to Christ? Here's another question that James would pose on you, and I'll just speak for him and translate. It's not me, it's him. I'm just translating the message. You received Jesus. 
You were at some camp. Maybe you were at underground. Maybe someone came up to you on the street and shared the gospel and you received Christ. And here you are three years later. Are you any different? Do people have to ask you, are you a, are you a Christian? You go to church? Wow, would have never known. What a compliment, right? If I were to go to your workplace or visit with your friends and I were to say, oh, I'm the pastor over at Underground. Yeah, Stocky, sorry. Stocky goes, he's there every week and they're like, dude, you go to church? You're a Christian? I had no idea. This is fascinating. Here's the testament. There might be something wrong. Because here's the thing. Guys, and don't miss this. It's not about working to be seen as a Christian, because you can do that too and still be wrong. A true saving faith will cause you to live differently. Here's the truth. It's possible for you to hear about God, to hear about Jesus, and to like that story and have still not come to grips with what it means in your life. A true saving faith. You don't have to work. It'll naturally push you that way. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be some development that you're going to have to do, and there's some areas of your life you're going to have to choose to cut off and things like that. But naturally, as the Holy Spirit invades your life as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to move and is going to force you. Part of that is just conviction. You're going to start having convictions you never had before, and you're going to go, why is it bothering me that I'm listening to this song? And it's the Lord going, I love you, and you are now changed, so let's move in that direction. So James is aggressive. He's a little forceful, but it's because he cares. He wants the truth to be understood. Then Paul says in Romans 4, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. What Paul says is, listen, if all it is is work, then you don't need Jesus. You can just get there yourself. Just be a good person. Open the door for old ladies. You'll get to heaven yourself. You don't need Jesus. And then we completely discount what Jesus did for us on the cross. Paul, writing to new believers or those that maybe are getting ready to come into the faith, is trying to help them to understand that, listen, all those things that you are struggling with. Do you remember when you became a Christian, you began thinking, can God really forgive me for this can God really forgive me for this? All the times I went out and got drunk, all the times I slept with people, all the times I stole, all the times I cheated on my tests, all the times I cheated on my girlfriend, all the times I lied to my parents, all the times I lied to my friends, all the times I did all this thing, and you begin to wrap your mind around all the things you have done because you're broken just like me, and then you think, is there really any way that Jesus could honestly forgive me for all of these things? And most of you probably struggled with that idea. How could he? See, Paul's not talking to a bunch of aggressive religious people trying to just skate through the easy way. Paul's talking to a group of people that are broken and hurting. And he says, hey, remember Abraham. Remember how God met him, justified him by his faith in God. He says the same thing to us. But then James, this is fascinating. Then James, talking about the same man, 
says this. We're continuing on in chapter two of James. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You go, why did you read that? I understood what you were saying and then you throw me a loop again. This is crazy. That's what I want you to see. Listen, too often we get a little ammunition as a Christian. We hear one thing that didn't make sense and now it makes sense. And we go out ready to take a bazooka to the world because we want them to know the truth of God. We're ready to fight and debate and all that. Listen, we have to make sure we fully wrap our minds around these things so that we can leave here confidently in an answer. So let's back up to what we just said. What is James saying? James says, if you have faith in God, it will lead you to live differently. You will be obedient. You will be faithful. You will show love. What did Jesus say? Love God and love your neighbor. It will naturally lead you there. And then he says, if you don't have that, you probably don't have faith. Paul says, all you need is faith. Don't think about having to do a bunch of things to get to God. God has created a way through you. James says, that is true, but don't forget If your faith doesn't lead you to action, you probably didn't have faith in the first place. So we understand that. But then we read these passages. You go, you're talking about the same guy. You're talking about Abraham. One says it was just by his faith. One says it was by his works, not his faith. So what in the world is happening? Did Chad just lie to you for the last 15 minutes and now you're ready to leave? Maybe you are, but here's what I want to show you. They are talking now about the same man but two different times in his life. Paul talks about Abraham coming into relationship with God. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's referring to the early moments of Abraham's life as he was getting right with God. Translation for you and I, when we came into relationship with Jesus Christ, we by our faith were justified before God. Praise the Lord, that's good news. And then James comes and says, wait a minute though, Abraham our father was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see, faith was active along with his works. And you go, wait a minute, what happened? Well, remember, this is two different times of his life. Now, James is talking about 25 years later in the life of Abraham, and what he's doing is saying, listen to how crazy, remember how crazy the story was when God told Abraham, take your son Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice him. None of you would do that, and neither would I. At least at first glance. The Lord would have to do something really special in my life to convince me to go to that place. But Abraham said, God, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to go. And so he walked his son up to that mountain, and he was ready to do the unthinkable, and God stopped him, just in case you were wondering what happened. God stopped him, praise the Lord. But what James is trying to say is, this man, 25 years later, showed fruit from the faith that he had in God. And that fruit was the obedience to follow what God had asked him to do. Same man, 25-year gap. Same word, justified, 
two different meetings. What was happening? Well, Abraham, remember our first definition? He was declared free of blame in that first encounter, as Paul writes. James writes about Abraham demonstrating or proving to be just, right, or valid by how he lived his life. The same is true, folks, for you and I. God calls us into relationship with him. We become a son or daughter of God as we give our life to him and accept Jesus Christ into our heart. Unless you were baptized, no one really knows that happened between you and God or those that you share vocally. But months, maybe days, years later in your life, if people are still looking at you and going, I had no idea that you go to church. I had no idea that you were a Christian. I'm not gonna judge your faith, but let me just lay this out in front of you. You might wanna investigate this because James is pretty clear that faith that doesn't show fruit or faith that doesn't show work is most likely dead. How long you been coming to church? Are you the same person than when you first started coming? Y'all thought this was gonna be like a sweet message. I know, I'm so sorry. Are you the same person? Have you been coming to church or a Christian for five years and the things you used to tell your little accountability group five years ago are the same things you tell them today? We need to think about this. I remember what we said at the very beginning. I'm not here to judge your salvation. That's not my place. But let me lay some things in front of you because I care. I care. You're never gonna be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. Take that pressure off your plate. But it is not okay to stay the same. It is not okay to stay the same. A true saving faith will force you to change. And you won't look at it and go, if I just do this and this, and everyone will think I'm a Christian. But because you love God, because Jesus has saved you from your sin, you don't have to hesitate. I want to do this. I want to follow him. And here's what's fascinating. We can preach all day long about all the sins you need to avoid, but if you'll just spend time with God, you know what you'll find? You'll realize that sin and him don't go together, and naturally they'll just begin to fall off. That is the beauty of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working inside of you and me. So tonight, I don't want you to leave going, am I really a Christian? No, I don't really know. But I want you to say, where am I at? Have I invited Jesus to come into my heart and to make me a new creation? And if I have done that, am I living out that truth? And if not, maybe tonight is just a great night to say, you know what, I'm gonna lay all this down and I'm gonna get this right. Maybe you've never done that, and so you go, this doesn't make any sense, and that's why. But as soon as you invite Jesus in your your heart, let me tell you something, something radical will happen. You're gonna begin to form into a new person. My friends from high school to this day, I don't know if you can really call them friends because we don't talk anymore, but my friends from high school still don't believe. Maybe they're watching now laughing at, I can't believe that guy's up there. I can't believe it because I am a radically, radically doesn't even begin to define how different I am before I came to Christ. Where are you at? For the glory of God and for the sake of the world around us, where are you at? 
What if tonight was your last night? Where are you at? One thing I wanted to share with you, and then we'll be done, is uh, while we were down there in Columbia, one of the first days or second day, I can't remember, but Candice was, uh, had a translator, and um, they were translating, and she was, you know, sharing the gospel, and the tra- you know, things with the translator are fun, because you really don't know what they're saying, you just hope they're saying what you're saying, and, or maybe making it better, either way is a win, right, just, just, just hopefully that's happening, but you really have no idea, unless you speak Spanish, and none of us did, uh, we learned some, I think we were just insulting to the people by the time we were done, but anyways, so here's Candace, and she's sharing from her heart, and she's trying to share the gospel, and it's the first day, so, you know, she wouldn't say this, but she's shaking, and she's nervous, and she's hoping the translator's doing her part, but she couldn't help but, but, did I butcher that I'm sorry, you'll be all right. But I couldn't help but notice that, that or she couldn't help but notice that the, the, the translator, it just seemed like maybe she wasn't quite saying everything that she was saying because she'd say like five lines and the translator would say one. And she's like, I don't, I don't know if those line up. Like maybe some, and so she came and told me about it and, you know, me, a great leader. You'll be fine. Get back in there. And so we, we go through the day. And then by the next morning, she's still talking about this, and now she's got my attention, and so I go over to Diego, who's my translator, and he's kind of like, he's going to change Colombia. Let me just tell you right now, mark that down, he's going to change Colombia. But anyways, I'm with him, and he's kind of the leader of the translators for our group, and I tell him this. We fast forward, a couple days in, I don't remember what it was, maybe the third day, second day. We're wrapping up the day, and <laughs> I kid you not, we, we get back together, and the church, the pastor of the church we were working with comes up to us and says, I've been talking to this translator. I'm going to leave her name out. I've been talking to this translator. And I, we just realized that she's actually Catholic. She's not a Christian. And so she's been struggling articulating the things you're articulating because they don't line up with what she thought she believed. But over these last three days, as she has had to repeat the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again, uh, she realized that she was missing something. And the more she watched these, these North Americans share the gospel and look at the Bible and the scripture, she began to realize that I, I'm missing this in my life. And so at the end of that third day, we went back to the church, we prayed for her, and she received Christ. And we go, Wow. We didn't even, we just assumed all the translators were Christians. That just kind of makes sense. You're going to go out and share the gospel. It would just make sense. But I'm telling you what, it's easy, folks, to be in an environment and not of it. It's a call as Christians when we talk about the world. But it's easy to have been coming to church your whole life and never fully grasp what the gospel is. In fact, I think the hardest people to lead to Christ are the ones that grew up in the church because there was never an appropriate moment to just say yes to Jesus. It was just expected that you would do it. And I just wonder how many people, even here tonight, have been in church their whole life and they've never actually dealt with Jesus. You may know all the worship songs, you may even know a lot of the Bible, maybe even more than me, but if you've never dealt with Jesus, let me tell you something, you got nothing. And for her, she sat there and shared the gospel over and over and over again. It was like the Lord was just going, I don't know how many times it's gonna take, but if it takes 100, eventually it's gonna click, and it did. And I'll tell you what, we had a picture I didn't get to bring it, but she was weeping as she invited Jesus to come in to her heart. Listen, guys. When you encounter Jesus, 
and then you do something with it, it will change you. And if you're not changed, you need to ask yourself the question, what have I done with Jesus? Paul loves you and says from the bottom of his heart as a tender, compassionate pastor, you don't have to do anything to be made right with God but believe in him. Oh, how sweet that is. But then James says as a loving pastor, listen, all of you theologians, if you aren't living the way God's called you to live, there's probably something broken. Hear this again so it is as crystal clear. You can't do anything to get to God. If you could, you eliminate what Jesus did on the cross. But when you find Jesus, you may not cry, but it'll change you. Now it's possible that some of you You encountered Jesus, genuinely invited him into your heart. But somewhere along the way, you just lost, you allowed the passion, you suppressed the Holy Spirit, you have moved away from God, and you are feeling like you are so distant. And the truth is, you are. God hasn't left you, so he doesn't do that. But we sure are good at putting him aside, putting him in a box. So maybe for you, Again, I'm not challenging your salvation. That's not what tonight's about. But maybe for you, you genuinely need to get on a knee tonight. Just say, Lord, I want to give you back everything. Forgive me for holding back. Listen, this is not, hey, if five of you come to Christ, we can celebrate because we're good ministry. I don't care about that. I don't care if I never know that you received Christ because honestly, it's between you and him. But here's what I would tell you. If just this room would allow Jesus to truly touch their life, the impact would be incredible. Do you know how I know that? Because seven people from your ministry linked up with a total of 32 North Americans down in Bogota, Colombia. And for four days, five hours a day, they shared the gospel, knocking on the door, going into parks, in front of a bunch of weed-smoking, crazy people, and said, maybe you'll kill us, but let me tell you about Jesus before you do. That was an exaggeration, of course, but that did happen. Doing that for four days, five hours a day, You know what happened? Over 2,000 people heard the gospel and just over 1,500 received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, I'm not telling you that to come tap these guys on the shoulder and say, you did good. Glad it wasn't me. Especially with that last story he just shared. Glad it wasn't me, but man, good for you. No, no, what I'm saying is if God can do that with them and me, a bunch of messed up people that really don't have a lot of offer. Y'all have a lot of offer? I don't think so. I don't think so. Neither do I. But can go down to a foreign country and share the gospel and watch God work. Can you imagine what God can do with you and your sphere of influence? 
in your place of business, in your school, in your family, your friends, even your relationships right now. I'm telling you, when Jesus touches you and you move, he does incredible things. But it starts with getting right with him. Some of you and I need to just surrender it all and realize who Jesus is because he wants to grab you. He wants to save you. And he wants to give you a place in heaven just for you. But while he's here, he's got some great things for you. Let's pray.